Welcome to the Fullness Church Weekly Podcast. At Fullness, we value the Bible and believe it is critical to teach it clearly, remaining true to its central focus of hearing and living the transforming news about Jesus. Our hope is this teaching will do just that. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Um, Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. We've kind of worked our way through 1 Timothy, and we're going to do 2 Timothy for the next three weeks leading into Advent. I want to read all of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, about half of chapter 2. It's a long scripture reading, but I want you to catch the affection of Paul writing to Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, of course, but he's giving him specific instructions on how to pastor a church. Listen to the change in tone. There's, a, there's an affection here. There's a, there's a son, father, mentor. It, it, this is more about Timothy than it is about the church. And I believe that it has something to say to us today about leading in broken times. Because Paul is writing to a, a young man who's very timid, who has been pastor of this church in Ephesus, a very, very, very important church. And you can see the brokenness of the times, the weakness of Timothy, the pain of Paul, all in this, if you listen. So listen to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, and with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does, uh, gave us Excuse me, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him 
until that day. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelius and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied. Because he has refreshed me and is not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for, this, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Lord, I pray this morning that our eyes will be enlightened. Spirit of God, reveal to us in these great words of Paul to his beloved son, Timothy, Reveal to us how we can live and lead in broken times. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot's changed between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Paul has been released from prison, and he's probably in Macedonia writing to Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus. Now, three or four years later, Paul has been imprisoned again. He is writing from a a dark, damp place, where in the first uh, imprisonment, he was probably under house arrest. Now he is legitimately in jail. He's been deserted by those around him. He's cold. He's lost everything. Only, as we'll see at the end of uh, Timothy, only Luke remains with him. Everybody else has abandoned him. He's going to ask for Timothy to come and bring John Mark with him and to bring him a coat and some parchments. He is lonely He's facing death. According to tradition, Paul doesn't make it out of this prison. Uh, He's going to ask for Timothy and John Mark to come. We don't even know if they make it there. We don't know if they arrive before Paul is executed. According to tradition, this is the last letter. This is the last writing of Paul's that we have. And in it, we see him writing to this 
son in the faith. This young, 30-something, timid pastor that is very special to him and he's, he's encouraging him. He's trying to spur him on. Timothy, on the other hand, is really battling in Ephesus. Some have deserted him as well. And uh, there are competing groups trying to steal people away from the church, uh, teaching heretical things. And Timothy, Timothy is battling. Sometimes we just need encouragement. Sometimes we need someone to say, here's what's going to happen. We need somebody to step in and say, you can do this. A couple of weeks ago, my, my team, Texas Rangers, uh, finally, after 67 years, won the world championship. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought I'd point it out to you um, that perseverance sometimes does pay off. <laughs> Actually, um, the story is that when I was in middle school, my dad pastored a church in Bethesda, Maryland. And the first baseball team I ever saw play professionally was the Washington Senators. Uh, you may not even know there was a team called the Washington Senators because they abandoned Washington and went to Texas and became the Texas Rangers. Uh, my affections followed them for all of those years, and then eventually I moved to Texas and got to go uh, watch uh, Texas play when they were uh, pathetic. Uh, they were very bad, uh, but they had Nolan Ryan, and I watched Nolan Ryan pitch against Roger Clemens, probably one of the greatest p pitching matchups of all time as far as strikeout leaders. Uh, so it was a glorious day a couple weeks ago, and again, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just pointing out to you that sometimes perseverance pays off. One of our enemies in this area is the Philadelphia Phillies because they keep taking down the Atlanta Braves for those who follow baseball in the playoffs. Their all-star shortstop is Trey Turner and he signed this huge, huge contract in the offseason. Um, and then he proceeded to have the worst season of his life this past season, which happens sometimes. He became the 11th highest paid player in baseball in the offseason and was doing terribly. Now, Philadelphia fans, I don't know if you keep up with sports at all, but they're not very forgiving. They're not very accommodating. In Philadelphia, they are known for booing everyone and anyone at any reason. Uh, they're notoriously known for booing Santa Claus a couple of years ago uh, when he came on the field at one of the Eagles games. So as the season went on, yeah, they booed Santa Claus. Um, uh, they're, not, they're, they're tough fans. Trey was having a terrible season. About midway through the season, as he came up to bat, he heard the boos. And one of the broadcasters for the Phillies, um, let's see if I, his name is Jack Fritz. I don't know the broadcasters, but Jack Fritz appealed to the Phillies fans and said, hey, we're known for booing people when they don't do good. Let's do this. First at bat tomorrow when Trey Turner comes up, let's cheer him. He's done nothing yet, but let's cheer him nonetheless. 
The Philadelphia fans took it to heart, and the first at bat, Trey Turner came up, and they gave him a standing ovation. They actually gave him a standing ovation for every time he came up to bat for that entire game. That was on August 4th of this year. Following that standing ovation, Trey Turner went on for the rest of the season, and if you know anything about baseball statistics, these are incredible. He batted 374 for the rest of the season. He hit 16 home runs, 42 RBIs, and led the league in stolen bases. To me, there is this, yes, we expect of you, and you're not performing, so let's call you out. But there's more power to me in the power of verbal encouragement. You can do this. Yes, you may not be achieving right now, but you can do this. And I think that's what we see in Paul in his letter to Timothy to say, Timothy, you can do this. You can lead in broken times. The encouragement that we need to give others. Back in 1 Timothy, if you remember, Paul had said to him, hey, the church is the foundation of the truth. God is, God is pouring into the church like the church in Ephesus. And, and you want to build on this foundation of truth. And Timothy, God has appointed you to lead the household of faith. And in this passage, I think he's giving him some specific things that he can do. He's encouraging Timothy to say, this is going to be hard, but you can do it. Build on the foundation. So again, how do we lead in a broken time? I believe in this, in this room, we have people who are founded in the faith. God has poured great stuff into all of you. He's called you all out to lead in your sphere of influence, whether it's your home or at your school or at your workplace or wherever you may go. How is that going to happen in the middle of a broken time? Here are the points I'd like for us to look at. First one, and they're just straight down the passage. If you're new to fullness, uh, we are a church that believes fully in the, 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 the spirit of God and the word of God. Holy, 100% of both. And so uh, as we teach, as I teach this morning, I just want to look at God's word. And I think it'll speak to us about where we are today as well as where Timothy was in his day. So the first thing he says to Timothy is fan into flame. Verses 3 through 7. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did. With a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded, now lives in you also. Feeding ahead just a little bit. I'm gonna, the final point is going to be on reflect and remember. But I want you to hang on to this idea that Timothy's faith is, you can see it in his grandmother and in his mother and now him. There's a reflect and remember that comes with this 
fan into flame. But going on. So just hang on to that, that one passage for later. He goes on and says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. He's saying to Timothy, this flame has been put inside of you. Now, the gift is kind of up for debate a little bit. Some have said it's a spiritual gift, like we looked at this summer when we looked at spiritual gifts. Um, that everyone has been given a spiritual gift and you need to, 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 to use that gift in discipline, fan into flame, use it as God. And we said that this summer, and that's true. But there's another point of view that says that this spirit, this gift, is the spirit. The, the gift that was given to Timothy that he wants him to fan into flame is the power and presence of the Spirit of God. I believe both are true. Uh, Gordon Fee actually translates it like this in his commentary. He says, For when God gave us his Spirit, it was not timidity we received, but power, love, and self-discipline. He believes that Spirit should be translated with a capital S as in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Either way, What we see here in Timothy's life is a tendency toward timidity, toward backing up. And Paul is saying, Timothy, do not back up. Instead, fan into flame the power and presence of the Spirit of God or the gift of the Spirit that's been placed within you. Either way, Timothy, you're to fan the flame. Now, here's the what I see as the two... I call them two pedals on the bicycle. Uh, People are always saying, is it the sovereignty of God or is it the will of man? And I want to say, yes. Yes. The flame that was put into Timothy, Timothy could not start the flame by himself. He could not put the flame into himself. The flame was placed into him, but now it's his responsibility to fan it into flame. To not let the fire go out. It's like two pedals, as I say, on a bicycle. The will of the sovereignty of God fan into flame. Uh, I mean, the flame has been placed in you. Now you do your part. Push the other pedal and, and fan into flame what God has put inside of you. Um, I've, I've experienced people in my life who need one of the pedals pushed at that point in their life. In other words, I've, I've experienced people who, have, who know they've got the presence of God within them, but they're just not living, they're not living the life. They're just kind of uh, lethargic or apathetic or, let's just say it, they're just lazy. They just say, hey, you know, if God's going to do it, God's going to do it. And I, I, I want to encourage them to push the pedal of, no, you fan into flame what God has done in your life. I've also met people who were on the other, and they're like, I'm working as hard as I can, and I'm doing everything I can, and I, I'm living the life that I'm supposed to live, and, and, and nothing. Th- and I want to say to them, hey, you know what? God's presence is in you. The sovereignty of God. Receive the power of the Spirit. Let the Spirit. This is not all about what you do. It's about what God is doing in you. And they need the other pedal pushed. 
but we need both pedals in order to progress in the kingdom life. Paul is saying to Timothy, fan into flame what has been placed within you. Don't go and be lazy about it. Instead, receive his power and presence. We could talk about this a lot, about ways you can fan into flame what God has done within you, and maybe in the days ahead I will. But we've talked about spiritual disciplines. Um, you can go read, for instance, John Mark Comer's book on the relentless elimination of hurry, which is a more modern, uh, for those of you who are younger, under the age of 40, I think you'll really enjoy his writing style. And it's, a, it's on disciplines, really, within the church, um, within our lives, how to eliminate hurry, and to fan into flame the gifts God has given us through spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines have kind of fall, fallen on hard times uh, because we, we just don't like the word discipline, period. We don't, we don't want discipline. We just want things to happen in our lives, and things don't just happen. Um, the only thing that happens naturally is decay and chaos. If you want things to happen naturally in your life, nothing ever falls right into place except for decay and chaos. I'm going to go on. Second point, and this is, not, again, not a popular message for today, but here's what he's saying to, to Timothy. Timothy, stand up. Kind of like, be the man. Stand up and be willing to suffer. He says, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do you know what? Um, here, here's what's taking place, just the background real quick. Because Paul is in prison, because he is suffering, there are those who are saying, hey, you know what? Paul is not an apostle. He's not really anointed of God. If he was anointed of God, he wouldn't be suffering. He'd be prospering. Do we not hear that message today at times? Saying, hey, if you'll just, if you stay within the will of God, you, you, there's a promise for prosperity. Um, you know what I see in the Bible? If you stay in the will of God, the promise is for suffering. Um, prosperity has a whole different tingle to it in the Bible. Uh, it's not about your resources. It's not about your house or your car. It's about being prosperous in the presence of God, that he will be with you. Paul has been abandoned. He's alone. He's cold. He's, he's only got Luke with him. It, it, it's, and so he, people are trying to heap shame on Paul for being arrested. And Paul is saying to Timothy, who's timid and who, who, who probably is afraid, fear brings shame. Timidity brings shame. Paul is saying, hey, stand up. Don't be ashamed. God's not giving you a spirit of fear. He's giving you his spirit, and it's a power and love and self-discipline. Instead, stand up and be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Don't let shame jump on you. He goes on and talking about who has saved us, God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. 
This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought us life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald. And I'm an apostle and a teacher. This is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. Be willing to stand. Be willing to suffer. I'm convinced that God is going to do what God has said and promised and through his grace has provided. Because of his grace, we don't need to receive shame, but rather the power of God. And he goes on and says, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. We are, I believe, increasingly in this broken time facing fear and shame when it comes to proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you stand for the truth, you will be increasingly shamed publicly. You will be increasingly called out. Now, part of our problem has been that we in the church have not done a good job of proclaiming the grace and love and truth of God. And instead, what we've proclaimed is law and condemnation. So there's a, there's a part of this that's our own fault. But increasingly, no matter what, if you stand for the truth, you are going to be shamed. We, we, we live in a day where the whole idea of shame has been twisted. I give you this example just with, I hope, grace. And a certain fear, not fear in publicly, I'm not worried about me, but just I don't want to misrepresent this. Over the past two weeks, if you read the news in Alabama, you are probably aware that um, there was a mayor of a small town who also pastored a pretty predominant church um, in the Smith Station, Phoenix City area. The, the pastor, the mayor, was, um, had been online publicly posting erotic pictures and pictures of himself cross-dressing. Um, he had taken on a separate personality or persona and he was, had put this online and was exposed. Uh, a, a news organization found the material, published the material um, of this pastor and this mayor with the pictures online. The pastor, the mayor, several days later took his own life in a public kind of... When police went, were worried about him, they came to find him, he, he took his own life. The whole story is messed up. There's nothing unmessed about the story. Uh, let me just say that 
for those of you who are following the news, the news organization that exposed him claimed to be a Christian news organization. Um, I, I believe public figures should be held up to public standards. But I also believe if you're a Christian organization and you find this material on a brother in Christ, you should have approached him privately to say, hey, we've found this material, you're in sin. Um, you need to step out of being a pastor of a First Baptist Church. And so I, I think the way they, they handled it was not appropriate. If they had been like, AL.com, they have no obligation from a Christian perspective to handle it in any other way. They can just publish what they want. That's one thing. But my, my intrigue in this whole thing has been the shame that's been placed on the people for, for exposing it. Although I don't believe they handled it right, at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, you should have let him live his own life. Even if he's a pastor, you should have let him. He, he wasn't hurting anybody by cross-dressing and posting this erotic look look what happened his shaming you know, you know the whole idea of what is truth has been so convoluted that we no longer can even even our own hearts we're like I mean, what was right there what, what should have taken place what you know it's taken me a couple of weeks to kind of navigate my way through to what I think should have been done how it was handled but at the same time to say should we let a pastor of a first baptist church should that be the standard that's okay? We no longer have a grasp on truth. We no longer have a, a, a place to stand where we can say, here's what the gospel proclaims. Here's what the word of God says. Here's how we should conduct ourselves. As Go back to 1 Timothy, read the conduct of someone who should be a pastor or an elder, how they should be there are still standards. Now, I know even going into this topic can bring a certain amount of you may be conflicted in your heart. And that's what I'm trying to say. We need to return to some sort of grounding in truth, in love and in grace, but truth nonetheless. Paul is calling Timothy to say, stand for the truth. Don't back up. Be willing to suffer. For the sake of the gospel. There's a famous um, prayer written. I, we, I think it's from a Nigerian actually. Uh, from a long time ago that says this. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back. Let up, slow down, back away, or be still. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. At some point, we have to be willing to stand in the face of what a culture is saying to us is no longer true for the truth. And in that, be willing to suffer. Because it will, it will take place if we stand for the truth. Which leads me to the third point. Guard the truth. Guard the truth. 2 Timothy 1, 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What, 
What do you think Paul is saying here? I think he's saying, look, guard the truth because it can get stolen from you. If, if, it can't, if, if the truth can't get robbed of us, then why would we bother to guard it? There's an implication here that the enemy is trying to steal, kill, rob, destroy. And one of the things he's trying to do that in has to do with the truth. Where is the truth? What is the truth? We need to guard this truth that he's given you. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul, I think, is saying to, to Timothy, hey, this truth comes by grace. This is not something you earned. It, everything here is grace-filled in Paul's um, scenario that he's giving the church. So what I'm hoping you, I hope you hear me saying is in the points one and two, this is not a legalistic, oh, we've got to do this and be angry and be mad. It's all by the grace of God. But by the grace of God, there is a truth that we need to hold on to, to receive and to walk in no matter what. And how do we guard the truth? How, how are we going to keep it guarded? So Paul gives Timothy, I think, at least four analogies here, four metaphors about ways that he can guard the truth. And the first thing has to do with being a teacher and working in community. Listen, uh, I'll just say it. Being alone gives a predisposition that you'll be picked off. It's just being alone, it, it makes you more vulnerable. He's saying to him, hey, entrust this truth. Teach it to others. I've told this story before, but when uh, I started teaching in seminary, um, I, I was um, working on my doctorate in music, and I was, I'd been asked to teach a couple of classes I'd never taught, especially at the graduate school level, I'd never taught. And so, like, I'm about to start teaching a graduate school class of musicians. And so I go in to meet with my major professor, uh, who's a man I've respected for many, many years, uh, a gifted teacher, composer, uh, a, a friend. And so I was waiting for him. He, I'm going into there, and he's going to tell me how to teach. He's going to teach me how to teach. And I am so excited because I have no clue what I'm doing. And so I'm depending on him to tell me. I walk in. I sit in his office. Uh, his name is Dr. Bass. He, he's just a gentle man and sweetest thing. He, he's just awesome. He, he hands me the textbook and a workbook, and he says, good luck. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What do I do? Just, just teach the book. And I said, but I, what about a syllabus? How, how long should I, should I do a syllabus, like the whole semester, and line it out and plan it out? That's my tendency, um, as you Y'all well know by now. Uh, plan it out, work my plan, do this. And Dr. Bass turns to me and goes, no, I wouldn't do any of that. I'm like, really? He goes, here's my advice to you. Stay one class ahead of them. That was his whole teaching to me. Stay one class ahead of them. 
That was my teaching on how to teach. Stay one class ahead of them. So if you think I know it all, I really don't. I'm just one class ahead of you. So in teaching, though, I learned this. I learned more about the topic through teaching than in any class that somebody taught me. And I think what one of the things Paul is saying to Timothy is when you teach others, it gets in you. It starts to just really be a part of you. If you want to really guard the truth, then one of the best ways to learn the truth and to guard it is to teach others. I, I, I think there is a power in the process of disciple making. When you are discipled and then when you get to turn and disciple others, you're sharing the truth with them actually imparts it and plants it in your heart in a whole separate in a whole more powerful way. If you want to guard it, then be a teacher. Begin to teach in the process of community. We're going we're gonna to help you do this in the days ahead. We've, we were developing a, a, a series of teaching called Follow, which have to do with disciple making. They're five to seven minute teachings on the topics that we see critical to being a follower of Jesus Christ. We've recorded and edited the first three um, there are going to be 12 in total, two sets of 12 is our goal. But by the end of the year, we want to have a set of 12 where we can say to Grant, for instance, Grant, um, you're going to disciple uh, someone, um, someone in our church who is either a new follower of Jesus or new to fullness. And Grant's going to watch the video where we teach and then have a series of questions to answer with them. It'll help Grant as he teaches, and it's going to help whoever he's discipling. Uh, because our, our experience over the years has been we have a, really one of, for a church of our size, we have the most mature followers of Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable what the truth that God has poured into the people who are part of fullness. But yet I'll go to someone and I'll say to them, hey, would you disciple so-and-so? And they're like me and Dr. Bass's office. What, 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 do I, what do I do? What, what, what would I say to them? I, I don't know. Where, where would I start? How would I teach them? So we want to help you by giving these five to seven minute teachings so that you can absorb them and then you can turn around and teach them to someone else. It's part of guarding the truth. The more you share the truth, the more the truth becomes a part of you. So guard the truth. He gives some other analogies as well as teacher. One of them has to do with the soldier. He says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Who's our commanding officer? It's the Lord. The Lord is our commander. We are not, as long as you try to please the civilian population, so to speak, you'll never guard the truth. Instead, who we have a commander that we are trying to please. Let's follow after him like a good soldier. He then goes on and uh, talks about the athlete. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Oh, my word, we hate this. Don't we? <laughs> we so buck against the rules. He's saying, as an athlete, and there are rules, there, there's a lot of uh, commentary on this passage that I won't get into, but one of the rules 
that an athlete in Greek times, uh, besides, I, I decided not to be like Gabe and show you a naked athlete. I decided to just talk about, uh, you were missed a couple of weeks ago, Gabe went up, took us to the line, um, so to speak, on um, athletics in Greek life. But one of the things they had to do was they had to sign a pledge that they had trained for 10 months leading up to the event. That, that was part of the rules that they had to follow, as well as the rules of the competition themselves. Uh, we're, we, we, don't, we don't really like rules. To the winner goes everything. We don't even like, oh, he broke the rules. Let's not, is it that big a deal? Is our day and age. We need to understand that God has set his truth in place. Listen, <laughs> one of the interesting aspects is that truth is truth. And everything that's not truth is a lie. It's not truth, right? I, we can't even get our, our heads around that anymore. No, 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 truth is what I make it. No, not really. Not really. Uh, truth is what God says is truth. And if we're going to guard the truth, we've got to agree that there's a truth. I'm not getting many amens on this, but think about it. It'll come to you later uh, as you dwell on this, that there is a truth that we need to follow. If we're going to guard the truth, wouldn't it be terrible to come to the end of our lives and to realize what we've been guarding with everything that we are is not true? It's not the truth. Third analogy is that of a farmer. He says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And he's talking about our eternal reward, but he's also talking about a farmer's diligence. A teacher who teaches, a soldier who guards, an athlete who goes by the rules and follows the way, and a farmer, a diligent, hardworking farmer who plants. And we could dig into each one of those, so to speak, in the days ahead just to see how those analogies apply, but... Here's what C.K. Barrett says. Beyond warfare is victory. Beyond the athlete's effort is the prize. And beyond agricultural labor is the crop. The truth, the truth leads us somewhere. There is somewhere we're going. When we guard the truth, we're not like in a fortress never moving out. We're, we're, we're guarding the truth as we move through life. And as we do, there is a, there's something that happens. Final point, I think Paul says is this, reflect and remember. Verse 7 says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Paul's running out of time. I think Paul's in prison. You know, he's writing and he's like, I don't have time to really say everything I want to say. But Timothy, reflect on this. Reflect on this truth. Reflect on this fan in the flame. Reflect on all that I'm telling you. And then he goes also, remember. Reflect and remember. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That's the church, the people. That they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In an earlier prison, um, 
time, Paul wrote in Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has been happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. This may not be the case in the second imprisonment, but Paul is saying that the gospel is unchained. Reflect and remember what is being done in your life. This past week, I know I talked about my parents a little bit last week. Um, This past week would have been my mother's 90th birthday. This past Thursday, and I spent a large part of the day just reflecting and remembering that just like Timothy, whose mother Eunice, whose grandmother poured into him, I got it reversed, Lois and Eunice, but his grandmother and mother poured into him, that I have been a recipient of parents who poured into me the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be sitting here today and saying, you know, my parents didn't really, really pour into me. But somebody did. Somebody somewhere shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you. Somebody shared the grace of God with you. Somebody probably in their own way discipled you. Maybe it was within the context of this church or in your small group. Paul is saying to Timothy, reflect on what's been done for you and to you. And as you move forward in the days ahead, receive all that God has for you, Timothy. Don't be, don't be timid. Don't back up. Instead, fan into flame what God has placed in your heart. Instead, guard that truth. Instead, push forward. Don't be ashamed. Stand up. Be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Well, I, I don't like that one. I don't know about you. That one phrase bothers me, but he's setting it up for this next one where he says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I think there's a power in this, this reflection to say God is going to come through. Because we serve a faithful God. I've been amazed over the years to see how the gospel cannot be chained up. How it cannot be pushed down. How it cannot be hindered. Times in Albania and in other countries where I've told stories of how in the midst of a communist society, amidst of a agnostic society, atheist society, where the gospel still was proclaimed. I was on a mission trip with my dad in Albania in the late 90s, and communism had fallen, I think, in 93, 94, somewhere in there, 91, 92, 93, early 90s. Uh, The the gospel, uh, Albania was a totally atheistic society. Bibles had been burned, people had been killed, Christians, there are stories of Christians who were put in barrels and 
thrust into the ocean and then the barrels were shot and sunk um, during communism. No Bibles, they were, they were tried to be smuggled in, but they couldn't. And we we're in a room and my dad just asked some people and some of them older, how did you come to know Jesus? With the idea that once communism fell, the gospel came in and they proclaimed Jesus. There were at least four or five people among 15 to 20 people in this room who said, I had a dream. And a man in white was beckoning me to come and said, if you'll follow me, I'll give you life. At least four or five people who had no one sharing the gospel with them. And they all testified, I knew it was Jesus. I knew it was Jesus asking me to follow him. And I didn't know anything other than to say, yes, I'll follow. They didn't know the gospel. They didn't have a gospel. They didn't have, they didn't have anything other than a dream. And they said, from the rest of my days, all I knew was to pray to Jesus. The gospel will not be hindered. We have an unbelievable privilege in this country of, of being able to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, go to church in freedom. And yet, too often, what we do instead of fanning into flame or standing up for the gospel or guarding the truth is we, we shrink back, we're ashamed, and we walk in fear. I want us to hear Paul's words again today that says, God has not given us a spirit, the spirit of timidity, but instead of power and a love and a self-discipline. I want to encourage you this morning. We're going we're gonna to worship. And in this song of worship, we're going to exalt the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to stand on the gospel truth that Jesus rules and reigns. And, and my prayer for you today is this. Receive it. Receive the truth to walk in power and love, sound mind. If the worship team could come, I'm going to pray. Everyone stand up. I'd like to pray for you just by the power of the Spirit to receive all that God has for you this morning. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that uh, your word is powerful. Lord, I pray that anything I've said today is not of you. It would just fall away. But instead, that this truth of who we are in Christ would remain. And that the words of Paul to his timid son, Timothy, would stir us and wake us. That we can say, hail to the King of Kings. Hail to the Lord of Lords. Let this gospel truth be implanted in us. May we guard it. May we fan into flame the, the power and presence of the Spirit who's been given us as a gift. May we stand up for the truth. Be willing to suffer. Never be ashamed. But instead, remember where we all were and Reflect on the glory of where we are now. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this teaching blessed you. If you ever find yourself in the Birmingham, Alabama area, come check us out. For more information, please visit fullness.life.